I'd like to go to the book of Psalms and, and see what uh, wisdom we can find there. I know it's there. Psalm 46. Welcome to the Grace and Mercy Hour, brought to you by Rocky Mount Church in Arab, Alabama. Rocky Mount Church is a primitive Baptist congregation, a family-integrated church that seeks to worship God in spirit and in truth, a church that seeks to maintain the simplicity of New Testament worship. Thank you for tuning in. Please stay tuned at the end of the broadcast for contact information, and may the Lord bless our time together today. Lord would bless us for a little time to discover that wisdom and then as we leave this place to have continuing leadership of his spirit to apply that wisdom. Psalm 46 is where I'd like to go. It's only 11 verses. Let's read the entire psalm. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore will not we fear, though the earth be removed and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, Though the waters thereof roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with the swelling thereof, Selah. There is a river, the streams whereof shall make glad the city of God, the, the holy place of the tabernacles of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God shall help her and that, that right early. The heathen raged, the kingdoms were moved. He uttered his voice, the earth melted. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Selah. Come, behold the works of the Lord, what desolations he hath made in the earth. He maketh wars to cease unto the end of the earth. He breaketh the bow and cutteth the spear in sunder. He burneth the chariot in the fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the heathen. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Selah. Psalm 46. Three times in this psalm, David says that God is our refuge. We probably won't get to it this morning, but in the middle of this psalm, God, uh, David describes for us a, a place. Not only God is our refuge, but there is a place that we find refuge. That place is described as a, the city of God. And within the city of God, there is a, a river and, and streams that flow that make glad that place. It says that God is in the midst of her. I've said it several times, I guess, probably more in recent times than maybe I ever have because I guess I've been made more aware of what a precious thing it is to actually be assembled together and when physical limitations and restrictions do not hinder us then what a blessing it is to be in the in the house of the Lord together there is a moving of the spirit at times and that's what we pray to experience when we do come together, that um, very difficult to find anywhere else, and God designed it that way. But 
there are responsibilities upon us. For the blessings that we receive, the privileges that we have, and what we experience when we are together, we also have the responsibility to, to nurture that and to do whatever we can. It's in our power that God has called us to do to help ensure that this place continues to be a refuge for those that would come after us. Now God says his church will be here in the world. God's word tells us his church will be here. When the Lord returns, he will find faith in the earth. He will find his bride meeting. He will find his church. He will find a body of believers worshiping him in spirit and in truth. Do you pray that he will find it here? I know you do. The psalmist says that God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. He is a refuge. He is a shelter. He is a shelter that shelters us, that protects us from the storms of life. The storms of life, whatever those storms look like because you've all experienced them. The storms of life come in many different varieties, I guess. There's, there are different colors and different hues, and, and uh, they are manifold, as the Word of God says in one place. The manifold temptations, manifold trials, they, they look uh, very different for each one of us, but yet all of us have some in common as well. And God is our refuge. He is our shelter from those storms, from the storms of life that bring the, the danger and the fear in our lives and that would, would cause us to, to be hesitant or to sometimes it causes me to completely avoid that which God would have me to do, the storms of life. But when I look to the Lord, when I look to God as my refuge, as my shelter, as my protection, as my provider, He is indeed that shelter. In Psalm 91, this is a, maybe a very familiar verse to you. Psalms 91, I don't remember if it's verse, I think it's verse 1. It says that he that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. He that dwelleth in the secret place. There's a place where God has called on us to, to find shelter, to seek refuge. And it's a place that's, that's underneath his wings, underneath his wings of protection. We dwell safely there, and we're protected, we're strengthened, we're revived after enduring the storms of life. God is our refuge, and in the midst of the storms of life and all the danger and fear that it brings, He is our place of hope. God is our refuge from the enemy, from the attacks of the enemy, and all of the lies and all of the deception that the enemy brings. And we see it in the world, and it's, all, it's been ever since the fall. It's been in the world, and we see it. And, and, the, and God's Word tells us that these kinds of things, the, the enemy is, is growing bolder, uh, and, and it, it seems that he's waxing stronger. He's not. He's not getting stronger. He's just getting bolder. And um, God's Word tells us that evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse. God is our refuge. God is our refuge from that evil from the enemy, from the lies and deception. Uh, this past Wednesday night, we spent some time in Ephesians chapter 6, 
And I think that somewhere around Ephesians chapter 4 is where uh, Brother Joshua made some remarks. And, and uh, maybe I'm not sure if he got to this verse or not, but I'm going to read it in chapter 4. The, the purpose, one of the purposes of, of the Word of God, the preaching and teaching of God's Word, is to equip us, to equip us, the Lord's people, to equip us to be ready to face that enemy. Now, we don't go looking for the enemy. Uh, give him time, he's coming to find you. He is as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. And so we don't go looking for the enemy, but we need to be prepared because we know we're going to face him sooner or later. The enemy and all of his lies and deceptions and, and, and all of that, God's word it tells us in Ephesians chapter 4 that God's word equips us that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive. There are those in the world that are just lying in wait, waiting, waiting for you to come along, waiting for me to come along, that has nothing else in mind but to deceive me, to draw my mind away from the things of God, from the truths of God's Word, into to lies and deception, and into the philosophies of the world. God is our refuge from those things. God is our hiding place, our shelter, not that we run and hide from the world, a hiding place is in a shelter of protection. God is our refuge. He is our refuge from the enemy and all of his lies and deception. He is our place of truth. God is our refuge. This is the place where we come to find and experience that refuge. God is truth. This is the place where we come to, to find and discover and experience God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. God is also a, 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 a refuge from the world. And oh, how we've needed that in recent times. A refuge from the world and all of its discouragement, all of its disillusionment, all of its, its, its mockings and, and, and the cruelty of the world. God is our refuge from that. He is our shelter, providing a, a place where we can go and and, and rest under, under the shadow of his wings, and again, be strengthened and be revived. You remember what John said in 1 John, I believe it was chapter 2, he, he, he exhorts us, he exhorts us to love not the world, nor the things that are in the world. He said, if any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, this is, this is weak. God is our refuge from the things of the world because he says, for all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life, he says, that's not of the Father. That's not of the Father. That is of the world. And God is our refuge, a place where we can find uh, comfort in the midst of, of, the, of the turmoil of the world, the chaos and confusion. Jesus tells us there in the... In the uh, the Sermon on the Mount, the fifth chapter of Matthew, the, what we commonly refer to as the Beatitudes. Jesus reminds us that we shouldn't be surprised when, when the world will, will persecute us. He, Jesus said it this way. He said, blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake. As you live your lives in, 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 in making the effort to follow the, the righteousness of God, to take His Word and apply it to your lives and and do that which is right according to God's word and according to God's will, you will face persecution. I will face persecution from the world because the world 
hates these things. And, and Jesus tells us to, he says, blessed are they which are persecuted. Blessed are you. Blessed are you. When you are persecuted for righteousness sake. He says, for great is your, he, he says, uh, for theirs, yours is the kingdom of heaven. That's what he said. Yours is the kingdom of heaven. You may not fit in the world. The world may hate you. You may not, and you won't, find much enjoyment in the world. Oh, there's some wholesome forms of, of entertainment and, and, and things like that in the world. But even those things can, lay, can take hold of our minds and, and, and wrap around us and, and draw us away from the kingdom. So he says, don't be surprised. In fact, you're a blessed individual. If you are persecuted for righteousness sake, yours is the kingdom of heaven. And, and, and if we have to say, forget about the world. I don't care about the things of the world because the world has no joy for me. Then yours is the kingdom of heaven. You can rest assured that you will have a place like this where the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, is most visibly manifest when His Spirit is, is dwelling amongst us and moving in, the, in our midst and, and, and touching the hearts and lives of His children as, as we sit under the sound of the gospel, as we sing the songs of Zion, as we assemble together to worship, God is our refuge. Amen? God is our refuge. And this place, the city of God, where, there are, where there's a river flowing and streams therein that make glad this place, make this place a glad place, a happy place. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice. We have reason to rejoice when we seek God as our refuge. We have reason to rejoice when we are under the shadow of the Almighty. We have reason to rejoice when our focus is on spiritual things, the kingdom of heaven, and not on the things of the earth, the things of the world. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. God is our refuge and strength. Jesus said more than once, uh, that he, he, he shared with his disciples more than once that same sentiment, that not to be surprised if the world hates you, because the world hated him, the world hates him still. The world hates our Savior. He, the, the world hates Jesus Christ. And we do all in their power to, to stamp out the very name of Christ. God is our refuge and a very present help in time of trouble. God is our refuge. He says that God is our strength. God is our strength. Again, we spent a little bit of time this past Wednesday night just barely scratching the surface, really, there in Ephesians chapter 6, where, where the apostle tells us to, to find our strength, that, that to be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. God is our strength. How much strength do you have to withstand the wiles of the devil? How much strength do you have to withstand the, the chaos and confusion in the world? I run out of strength very quickly. And in fact, truth be known, I have none of my own. I have none of my own. God is your strength. God is my strength. He is our refuge and strength, a very present help in time of trouble. There's a passage in 2 Corinthians I want to 
want to look at very quickly, 2 Corinthians chapter 10. And I think that the reason this, this passage came to mind is because I, I have so much trouble with what this passage says. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, if you'd like to, to turn there. We're not going to spend too long here, I don't think, but 2 Corinthians chapter 10. The Apostle Paul, um, he expressed this, this, this same sentiment more than once, that, that um, he would appear to be to others one who wrote with great boldness. And, and with the church at Corinth in particular, um, there seemed to be maybe some there who would say something like, well, yeah, he, he's very bold when he's writing, but, but let's, let's see, when he, when, he comes, when he comes among us and in our presence, let's, just, let's see how bold he is then. Um, and that was kind of the sentiment, but not only there at Corinth, but maybe a couple of other places, maybe amongst the churches at Galatia as well. And, and in chapter 10 of 2 Corinthians, Paul says, in, beginning in verse 2, But I, I beseech you that I may not be bold when I am present with that confidence, where, wherewith I think to be bold against some, which think of us as if we walked according to the flesh. Now, if you unravel that, what I get out of that is that Paul is saying, if I can put it this way, I pray that I'm not as bold when I'm in your presence as I am on paper. I'm afraid that if I try to be as bold as I am on paper, when I come into your presence, it's not going to be a good thing. It's, gonna, it's, gonna, it's not going to turn out well. And because some of you would accuse me of, of walking and thinking and talking according to the flesh. So I hope that I'm not as bold when I'm in your presence than I am, than I, as I am on paper. That's kind of what I get out of that. And he says, for verse 3, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. Now this goes along with what we began to talk about Wednesday night, where our battle today, our, and, and, and it's been this way, is not with flesh and blood. We don't battle flesh and blood. Ours is a spiritual warfare. And while there are those in the world who are under the influence and seemingly almost under the total control of the enemy, yet they themselves, that person individually per se, that flesh and blood is not our enemy. It's, a, it's larger than that. It's greater than that. This is a spiritual warfare that we battle where there's spiritual wickedness in high places. I'm not talking about in high places of authority, in high places of the government. That is true, but it goes beyond that. In high places, in other words, in, in, in the places above this earth, in a spiritual realm, there is spiritual warfare going on. And we suffer the consequences of that warfare, but we are also engaged in that warfare. We have to be engaged in that warfare, remembering that we don't fight against flesh and blood, but we do fight a spiritual warfare. And so fighting a spiritual warfare, we must put on, as Paul says in Ephesians chapter 6, the armor of God. We must fight this battle the way that God has called us to fight this battle. And that's another subject for maybe another time, but maybe in the near, very near future. Verse 4 is what I wanted. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. Are not carnal. The weapons of our warfare, I know that yeah, as, as uh, citizens of a nation, of any nation, we expect that the government, one of the main purposes of government, and in fact, as God established the principle of civil government, one of the main purposes is to protect its citizenry, to um, uh, punish evildoers, and then to also uh, uh, reward, I guess you could say, I uh, forget how it's worded there, those that do right. And so one of the purposes of civil government, as God has established it, is to protect its citizenry. 
So, and then sometimes, and quite often, most of the time, I suppose, that means that a nation will have a, a military of some sorts. And, and, it, and it looks, you know, a lot of different ways that it might look, but it has some means to protect its citizenry. Okay? No, okay, so there, there are weapons in that sense that are carnal, that are of a worldly nature, that are of a material nature. Paul says to you and I, children of God, he says to you this morning, he says to me, our weapons are not carnal. The weapons of this warfare that we are engaged in are not carnal. It's not a physical thing. He says, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Mighty through God. Our warfare is a spiritual warfare. And we have God on our side. That's all we need. Amen? That's all we need. But that's not all. He's, he's called on us to do something, not just sit back. He's called on us to put on his armor, and he's called on us to fight this spiritual warfare the way he is, he is prescribed. And he says this, and here's, this is where it begins. Verse 5, casting down imaginations. And every high thing, that means reasoning, ideas, philosophies, casting down those things, and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God. Pause there for just a second. There, there, there's principles and there's ideas and philosophies in the world that try to grab your mind, try to grab your attention, try to wrap themselves around all those synapses in your brain and cause you to begin to think in a worldly way. Paul says we have to cast down those things. Anything, any principle, any idea, any philosophy, anything that would exalt itself, and, that, and, and false doctrine as well, anything that would, would, would try to elevate itself above the knowledge of God, and that includes everything, everything about God, everything that we will ever know about God. It's right here. And so if there are ideas or philosophies that, that try to elevate themselves above the knowledge of God, Paul says, cast them down. Cast them down. Every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God, and where does it begin? And bringing into captivity everything thought to the obedience of Christ. Paul gets down real personal level. Though spiritual warfare is in that realm above the carnal, above the physical, above the worldly that we see. There's the spiritual warfare. But it's also in you. And not only are we to cast down whatever the world May, may come up with that tries to elevate itself above the knowledge of God. But we're to cast that down within us. Whatever our nature, whatever our sinful nature and sinful mind, whatever our carnal nature might try to come up with that would try to place itself above the knowledge of God, cast it out. Bringing into captivity. That's a strong word. Captivity. To apprehend to arrest, to control, bringing into captivity every thought, he says. Every thought to the obedience of Christ. So everything we think, how we think, how we reason, 
All of that is sub, it should, we should, should subject that to the obedience of Christ, to the knowledge of God, to His Word. That forms our worldview. That forms how we view life. And if there are thinkings, if there are reasonings, if there's philosophies, if there's ideas within us that, we, that, we, that we're trying to hold on to, that, that exalt themselves above God, cast them out. And having in a readiness to revenge all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. Now there's a, we, we, we pulled that passage out of a, a kind of a rather unusual context, but maybe again there's something else we can come back to again a little later. God is our refuge and strength, the very present help in trouble. He is our refuge, he is our shelter from the storm, he is our strength. And he's a very present help. A very present help. You know what that means? That means that God appears abundantly. He comes forth exceedingly. Oftentimes when I'm not expecting him. Oftentimes when you're not looking for him. God comes forth and appears to us exceedingly, abundantly. He's a very present help in time of trouble. Uh, if you uh, are in trouble, and you've heard it many times, you know, his timing is always right. His timing is all right, always right. It's not always what we think it ought to be. But that's why he's given us faith. That's why we have faith, to wait on the Lord. We are for, if you are convinced, if I am convinced that God is my refuge, that he is my shelter, that he is my protector, and, and if I seek to, to find myself abiding under the shadow of the Almighty, then, then I trust Him that He's going to be that strength. He's going to be that very present help. He's going to be the aid that I need when I need it, right when I need it. And oftentimes, I, as I've said not long ago, I, we don't receive that kind of grace. That's, a, that's, a type of, that's, a, that's an aspect of grace that God gives us. And we don't often receive that type of grace until the very moment we need it. And until that moment, right up until that moment, then we're walking by faith, trusting that the Lord will do what He says. <laughs> Live up to His promises to be our refuge, to be that strength. Now, I want to I share with you just a few thoughts on, on something else here that I think is kind of related, that God is our refuge. You might, you might have, uh, I don't know how familiar, familiar you are with this. Um, you go back to the, to, the, to the law, and you can find a lot about this in Numbers chapter 35. When the children of Israel came over into the promised land, they were about to, to, to enter the promised land, one of the things that God laid out for them um, was... From a physical standpoint, every tribe was going to have a, a portion of the land, right? They were going to be appointed a portion of the promised land. Now, there, there was a little bit of twist on that, but for now, let's just leave it there. So every tribe had its place, except for one, and that was the tribe of Levi. The Levites were those, but they were ministers, they were to minister the word of the Lord. They were to minister unto the Lord's people. From that tribe of Levi, there were priests. 
Okay, there were priests. The tribe of Levi didn't have their own land. They didn't have their own territory. But God said, There's going to, you're going to have 48 cities. Still trying to figure out why 48. But there's going to be 48 cities in the land of Canaan, in the promised land. I think some of those were city, cities were actually on the other side of Jordan, but 48 cities. And God says that the priests, the Levites, would have their dwelling place in those cities. Those that were to minister God's word were to live among God's people. Okay? There's, there's, some, there's a lesson there. Those that were to minister the word of the Lord were to live among the people. And so the Levites, the priests in particular, they, would have, they had these 48 cities, and they would be scattered and living in those cities. They would also be given provision, God's word calls it suburbs. They would have a, the suburbs around the cities, there's a, a space around the walls of the city where the priest would have their flocks and their cattle, their beasts. So God was providing a place for the priests to live, those that would minister God's word. But out of those 48 cities, there were six that God called the cities of refuge. Cities of refuge. I don't know why 48. I don't know why six. But that's the way it was. And again, you read some of this in Numbers 35. And of those, those cities of refuge, those six cities, here was the, the purpose. Let's say a man killed a man. I killed somebody. The congregation, the people, would, would judge. They would judge the situation and determine whether that was intentional on my part or if it was unintentional. So the people would judge, I intentionally murdered somebody. And according to the law, there would be a, a person, a man, in that slain man's family, usually they're the next male kin, who would be responsible for taking my life. And he was called the avenger. Not revenger, but avenger. That man was called the avenger. He had the right under the law to take my life because I intentionally murdered a man. Okay? By the way, avenger, not revenger. Avenger means to restore or reclaim. It can mean redeem. Now, if the congregation judged that I did it unintentionally, that I didn't do it with malice, that maybe it was an accident, or maybe even in the, well, you can read, in fact, I'm going to go over there. Here's a couple of examples in Numbers 35. God says that, that if a man smite another man with an instru instrument of iron, and he died, he's a murderer. If he smote him with, by, by throwing a stone intentionally to try to kill that man, he's a murderer. If he, if he smote a man with, with a weapon of, of, of wood or whatever, and that man died, he did it intentionally, he's a murderer. 
In fact, he goes on and he says that um, if he had like some enmity against that man in the past, th that was a factor as well. And that man, if he killed somebody out of hatred, he was a murderer. And so the avenger, the next male kin, had the right to kill that person, the, the murderer. Well, if it was unintentional, it wasn't premeditated. God's Word gives us some examples of that. In other words, if it was just a kind of a, it wasn't out of malice or hatred, they weren't enemies, but, and, and he wasn't lying in wait, you know, secretly lying in wait to, to overtake the man and kill him. If, if none of that was done, if it was just an accident, it was unintentional. Then that man, although he had killed a man, could flee to the city of refuge. And he would be protected in that city of refuge from the avenger. He could live there in that city of refuge, protected from the law that would have otherwise demanded his death. He was protected. And as long as he remained in that city, he had that refuge. But he had to stay there. He had to stay in that, are you listening? He had to stay in that city of refuge. Submit himself to the protection that God had provided. And he had to stay there until the death of the high priest. You have a great high priest, don't you? You have a great high priest. We have a great high priest. A great high priest who died. And those that were under his protection, they're safe. They're safe from the condemnation of God's law, of his, God, of his moral law. It declares him, declares you to be innocent, declares you to be right with God. The death of the high priest. We have a place of refuge. Now, God, now Christ is our high priest. God is our refuge. But to enjoy and experience and, and to learn and, and to, to, to enjoy communion and sweet fellowship and, and peace and joy and all of that, to enjoy that to its fullest, we have this city of refuge. We're to flee from the world, to come to this place, to sit under the shadow of the Almighty. Now, tomorrow, you're still going to be facing the enemy, you're going to be facing the storms of life, you're going to be facing the world, and you're still going to need that place of refuge. Well, God ultimately is our refuge. He is our place of refuge ultimately. And you will still be able to abide under the shadow of His wings, whether you're here or not. But how sweet it is, how sweet it is to get just a foretaste, just a little taste of what is to come when we come together, when we assemble together. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore will not we fear, though the earth be removed and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, 
Though the waters thereof roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with the swelling thereof. And he says, Selah. Just stop there and meditate. Meditate on the protection, the provision, the peace, the comfort, the strength, the joy. Just meditate. Just think of the goodness that God has shown you. Just think of the trials he's brought you through. Meditate on his promises to never leave you or forsake you. Meditate on his protection and you never knew he was there. Meditate on his mercy. Meditate on his love. Meditate on his grace. Thank you again for listening. Rocky Mount Church is a Primitive Baptist congregation located near Arab, Alabama. We invite you to look us up on the web at rockymountpbc.org. That's rockymountpbc.org. You'll find various resources there on our website, as well as additional links to other Primitive Baptist sites. You'll find contact information there, and we would love to hear from you. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Thank you again for listening. We look forward to the next opportunity we can spend some time together. May the Lord bless you is our prayer. Amen.